This is an Odyssey original. This is a special edition of KNX In-Depth, a sit-down conversation with Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass has been on the job for just about nine months now, and there is no shortage of problems and issues that are getting her attention. So we will share the concerns that some of you out there have as well. Mayor Bass is here with us now in studio to talk about how she's addressing what needs to be fixed. Mayor Bass, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. If you remember, uh, when we had our debate at KNX, the very first question asked of you was, uh, what kinds of things did you think a mayor could not deliver to the public? Because the public wants everything. They want the mayor to do absolutely everything. Some of it is realistic. Some of it is not. You have now had this job for, as we said, about nine months. Are you surprised by some of the things you can do that yes. maybe you thought you couldn't do? Yes. And some of the things that maybe you thought you could do, but you found out nine months later, you know, I really can't do that one. Well, either I can't do it or it takes a long time. Whereas I came into the job and I still feel it today, nine months later, a sense of urgency. And I want things to move quick. So it's not just a matter of what I can't do, but it's a matter of how long it takes to get things done. And that's even pushing past the bureaucracy and things still taking a long time. Is the bureaucracy worse then than you thought? Um, it's, I mean, you were, you were in Washington, my God. Well, well <laughs> so. right, but you know what? But a big difference is, uh, for example, in Washington, it's not like I had to deal with contracts or I was trying to get you know, things in the street fixed or anything like that. So it's a different level of bureaucracy. So uh, to me, in wanting to get things done quickly, there's a homeless encampment and I want it moved right away. Well, I have to go find hotel rooms. And then there's the complexity of contracts and all of that type of bureaucracy. That, of course, I didn't experience in either Washington or Sacramento. Obviously, homelessness has been uh, your top agenda item, but uh, something else creeping up to the top, I think, are these continual buses coming in yes. uh, from from Texas in some uh, cases. And I understand another one has just come in. An yes. 11th bus has come in. A couple uh, of hours ago. Uh, obviously, I know you have opinions about that, and uh, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinions about what's going on, what you think is behind this. And also, I would like to ask you, what can the city do about it? Exactly. Well, let me just say that uh, a bus did arrive um, just in the last couple of hours. And uh, what is concerning is, is that if it was legitimate, if it was sincere, then someone in the in the government in Texas would notify us and coordinate with us. That's not what's happening. We hear about the buses headed our way when they're on the way. We have no idea who's going to be on the bus, how many people it is, or what condition they're, they're going to be in when they get here. Sometimes they haven't had any food, barely had enough water. There might be children on the bus. And I will tell you, the bus that arrived a couple of days ago did have a number of minors on it, and the bus that arrived a couple of hours ago was almost half children. Oh. So I think that it's it's quite despicable. I think that it is a political ploy, and I say that because if it was sincere, it would be coordinated, and it is not coordinated at all. And I was particularly concerned last week when we thought we were going to have terrible weather conditions. The fact that coming from the state of Texas, where they're used to hurricanes— used to dramatic weather events, that they would send a bus in those conditions. 
Uh, let's talk uh, about the homeless issue, and then I do want to move on so sure. we can talk about all the other issues that uh, this city faces, and uh, from the environment to uh, people. <laughs> you name it. Well, yeah, you name it. People <laughs> wanting wanting to leave. But uh, when you were running for office, I, I forgot the exact figure, but I think you said you were going to house, was it 17,000? That's that correct. 17,000. My memory is better than I thought. <laughs> 17,000 uh, people. Uh, if, ele- if elected mayor. You're nine months in, years almost up. Where are you now? Well, you know what? Actually, I'm going to be digging deep on that uh, in the next week. I do know that in the first six months, 14,000 were housed. But, you know, we have... Is that through your program or is that well, no, everyone's it, it, program? That's in total. But total. remember now, Inside Safe was actually not something we envisioned before I came in office. We had envisioned a variety of ways that we were going to get people housed. One of the most important things we were going to do was really eliminate a lot of the bureaucracy that caused the delays. So one of the first things I did, I think it was in my first week, I did an executive directive that fast-tracked building. So, for example, developers would complain, it takes months. Why does it take so long? So because of our fast-tracking, what took six months is now taking about 30 days. The DWP was another big complaint of people developing uh, that it would take months and months to get approvals from the DWP. So we fast-tracked that. So when we quantify the 17,000, we are looking at, I think it was like at least 10 different ways that we were talking about building and fast-tracking. The one thing that I really wanted to pay a lot of attention to, though, is encampments, because that's the way Angelinos experience homelessness. So we started Inside Safe, and uh, we have been moving people out of tents and into uh, motels, and now from motels into permanent housing. But every step of the way, I have new new challenges and find new levels of bureaucracy. So we found red tape from the federal side, red tape that we did to ourselves, red tape from the county side. So every time we find a hurdle, we then move to remove that hurdle. All right. Uh, we do have some uh, listener questions. Some of them are angry. That's okay. So I think you got a heads up on that. But before I get to one of those, I want to ask one more homeless question. Sure. Uh, a lot of money is being spent on programs uh, or buying uh, properties, uh, finding housing for the homeless, money has to be spent because it takes money to get anything done. Yes. But there is concern that some people have with the vast amounts of money that's being spent because we recall pandemic relief fraud. All, yes. A lot of fraud, people dipping into wells that they should not have been dipping into. Is there? A, do you have a concern and what are you doing about it? Uh, staving off some potential fraud in the, all the money being spent on the homeless sure. issue. Well, first of all, let me just tell you that I'm worried about the money being spent, too, and it is very expensive, and I would love to delve into that as to why. But I don't have the concerns about fraud. And I will tell you the reason why I don't is because the money that we are spending, there are contracts with motels. The fraud you're talking about was people who were essentially faking that they either had businesses, they had the number of employees and all of that. So that type of thing, I, I do not believe can take place. But, but how do you how do you assure the public? Because the public is now at a point and it's not just L.A. politics. I, I think all the polls show the amount of distrust of, of government is just it's nationwide. That's really. right. And, of course, here in L.A., uh, we've had issues with everything from the L.A. Board of Supervisors, County Board of Supervisors, Mm -hmm. to the L.A. City Council. And a lot of people just think, you know what? They're all crooked. And that is what people think. And you know that. I do. 
How do you dissuade them of that notion? Well, you know what? I think the way you dissuade them is by delivering results. That's what it is. But I want to also talk about the money, how much we spend when people stay on the streets, how much it costs in terms of the fire department, your hospitals, the police department, for goodness sake, that have to go over and over and over again to encampments, the way it compromises businesses. The, the profits that they lose because people don't want to go to a business where you have a tent out. And so we're spending millions and millions of dollars sanitation when people are on the streets. But people are right in saying, I want to know where my money goes. So one thing that we don't have a problem doing at all, and I believe our city controller has already done it, is putting on the website exactly how much money we're spending. Now, I do think that, you know, our program of Inside Safe, putting people in motels, you financially, you can't sustain that forever. We have right. got to come up with a cheaper way to do interim housing. And that's why we were looking at some of the acquisitions, but we still have to look for an even cheaper way. But I'm going to tell you something, though. Because I felt it was such an emergency, I could have spent the first four months of my administration designing the world's best program. I said, we have got to act. You talk about getting people to have faith. Mm -hmm. People need to see results. Can you imagine if I had spent four months going, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's not quite ready? People wanted to see folks off the street today. All right, let's uh, get to a listener question here. This one, uh, and we're going to make sure that you're able to hear this, too. Uh, Owen Harris is a uh, property owner, and he's got a question about uh, relief following the eviction moratorium. So let's take a listen to that. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor Bass, and to the good folks at KNX. During your campaign, you promised you would have a very transparent administration. While you've met with the press from time to time... Actually, I apologize. That That is not the correct but, question. But, but, you know, but you know what? Let, let, it, let it run anyway. You know what? Because it's an, it is an interesting question. It's a question about transparency. All right. About transparency. Here we yeah, go. Let, let it go. Here we go. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor Bass, and to the good folks at KNX. During your campaign, you promised you would have a very transparent administration. While you've met with the press from time to time on specific issues mostly, there has still not been an open press conference that you have conducted. Would you agree that it should be a requirement of all elected officials in this city to stand before the press corps two or three times per year as an obligation of their position? And would you also advocate that this rule be added to the city charter? Thank you. Now, that person's name is uh, Scott Myers from Hollywood Hills, asking was, the question about... probably to, saying added to the city charter. Right? Yeah, yeah. transparency. But do you Let think you're not say, transparent enough? Wow. I, you know what? I talk to the press like every day. Yeah, yeah no, but, but, but I, I think his... that gentleman's open press conference? Well, I think, right. I think his point was that you are available on specific issues. The hurricane is coming, the homeless. But what he's saying is a more generalized press conference where the press comes and, as the surrogates for the people, mm-hmm. ask all kinds of questions about an array of topics. You know what? It's interesting, but you guys do that anyway. It doesn't matter whether it's the issue specific. <laughs> you ask whatever. But um, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But why, I don't, why don't think... you do it, though? Well, I mean, actually, I never thought about it because I now, talked wait, to wait, the now, press wait, hold on, so Mayor. Wait, wait a minute. You've because you were you were saying before how you know this isn't your first rodeo. You've been in Congress for a long time. You know the way the game is played. And you know that previous mayors have had, that gentleman is right, previous mayors have had from time to time these general news conferences. You know in Washington, when you were in Congress, Congress people have all the time, sometimes on specific questions, sometimes on not so specific questions. So why aren't you doing it? That well, is a good question. to be honest, 
I feel like I talk to the press all the time, but I'm not opposed to that. What I wouldn't do, though, is that I don't think it needs to be in the charter and I don't think that a person needs to be required to do it. I guess from my point of view, when I do press conferences, it is about a specific issue, but I am always open to entertaining other questions, but just know that I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. There are a lot of people who are leaving Los Angeles, That's right. and they're leaving because they are holding down maybe two jobs, right. the, the schools are too expensive their rent or their mortgage to buy a house, if they could afford a mortgage mm-hmm. to get a house, mm-hmm. is is way off the scales, and they want to leave. And this issue about building affordable housing, when I moved to L.A., the first mayor I sat down with was then-Mayor Richard Reardon, and he said to me, we need to build affordable housing in L.A. Wow. And Mayor Hahn said that to wow. me. Can and you mayor, imagine if we had Vier- done it? Well, that's my point. I mean, I, that's like your number five, right? right? Yeah, five mayors, and everyone says, "What we need to do to solve the problem is build affordable housing." Let, let me, why why let can't me, we do it? Okay, so let me tell you what's different okay. between those mayors and now. Sure, it has reached such a point of crisis. The way I describe it is the city's become so unaffordable and the most extreme manifestation of that are 46,000 people living outside. I remember there's a generation that has grown up that thinks this is normal. We didn't even have the word homelessness in our vernacular until the 80s. But what is different is, is that it's reached such a proportion that now you have the state intervening and passing laws to preempt us here. I think we've had to rethink a lot of our slow growth policies. So when Reardon was mayor, when Han was mayor, those slow growth policies were very, very strong. And that is one of the things. There have been other reasons, but that's one of the reasons why they had a tough time, but that's different now. I also think, and I know people are going to have a hard time believing this one, but as I've gone around the city, there is an openness to building now. I was at a town hall where we were all yelled at, but then I've been in many meetings where neighbors are saying, you know what, maybe not on this street, but this street would work really well. So I do think there's a recognition that we need to build. But what really troubles me is that people who work here can't afford to live here. And my first experience, by the way, as mayor was with the the strike, the school board, uh, the school employees, the teachers, and then the classified workers. When I met school employees who told me that they were homeless, but yet they worked full time, that was very, very troubling to me. Can you afford to live here? Yeah, I can afford to live here, but you know what? Yeah. My kids can't. Okay. How about that? All right. So where are they leaving? Well, no, they're not. I mean, you know, they're nearby cities. Okay, but, you know? but they can't afford here. Right. Los Angeles. Okay. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I have to live a little uh, ways out, uh, not very far, uh, but uh, I can't afford to live in the nice places in L.A. Well, they need to give you a raise. Yeah, they do. At can you say that again, please? I will. They need to give you guys a raise. Okay, thank there you. we have it. <laughs> Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass calling for a raise. On that note, thank you for being yes, with us, Thank Mayor. you. Good night. Uh, we have another solicitor question. I'm so glad we got that in. Uh, this person identifies uh, as a concerned resident and is asking about what to do about the trash all over. So let's yes. take a listen. Los Angeles is trashed. I mean, literally trash. Trash. <laughs> There is trash all over the place, freeways, roads, public parks, sidewalks, and and much more. It really is time for Los Angeles to clean up the mess 
and the filth. So my question is, what are the plans to clean up our beautiful city? Thank you. There you go. I, I know this is going to sound strange, but this is one of the reasons why I really like being mayor. Okay. Because she is 100% correct. I drive down the street and I'm horrified by it. Do you know that we have 900 vacancies in L.A. sanitation? 900? Do you, 900. Do you know we have 300 vacancies in street services? Is that because we don't pay enough? No. Well, no, I don't think so. No? And by the way, when I say vacancies, I'm not talking about these positions are vacant because we don't have the money. We have the money for these positions. So I'm going to do a little commercial and say, if you want to come work for the city, these are good union-paying jobs with pensions, great benefits. We need to hire people in sanitation. The other thing that bothers me, and I raised this with the governor, is that on our freeways, our freeways look terrible. You go to some cities and freeways are beautiful. They're green. They're lush. In our city, you see trash, you see graffiti, but you know what? That's a state issue. It's Caltrans. So when the governor was here for the hurricane, that didn't happen, um, (laughs) I talked to him about it. I said, I got to get with your Caltrans director because in a few years, the world's going to be here for the World Cup and the Olympics. We need to get our city back to the beautiful city I know it can be. You mentioned uh, the word unions, and that, of course, brings up the fact that, as you well know, uh, Hollywood is in a virtual shutdown in terms of production anyway because of the Writers Guild strike, because of SAG after. And I know in, in the past you've alluded to sort of working quietly behind the scenes, but we've heard criticism from, from people who have complained to us that is it time for the mayor, you, mm-hmm. to be more open, more vocal, more visible in trying to bring these parties together, because as you know better than anyone, it is impacting the economy. Oh, my gosh. Like there's no tomorrow. It is. And we every how many times a week, Rob, do we have people on on our show? Absolutely. Yeah. Who, they're not actors and they're not writers. They, you know, they own catering businesses. They own uh, dress shops, that sort of thing. Restaurants. Right. And yeah. they're suff- restaurants. That's they're right. suffering. This is going on and on and on. Is it time for you to, I get that you don't have the power to, to settle this, but can you use your bully pulpit in a more perhaps effective and visible way to bring all these people together and say, you know what, this has got to be done? So, you know, uh, what I could do is I could grandstand and have a press conference and, and call everybody to the carpet. But maybe, the, maybe that works. I don't think it does. Okay. And because I am in regular contact with all sides... And absolutely have been making that point. But one thing about me, and you'll find this in my administration, and I might get criticized for it, but I don't run to the microphones and the ca- or the cameras and grandstand. And so you found with the UTLA as well as the school employees, I got the same criticism. What people didn't know was that we had actually been talking and meeting, and ultimately you saw them at City Hall. So what don't we know about what's going on between you and... Well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what's being said in those closed rooms? Well, let, 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 let me ask you this, though. I, I get it. You don't want to go into details. But, but do you have a sense of whether or not there's any appreciable progress being made? Because right now, all the predictions yeah. are as dire, frankly, as they were 
what, Rob, maybe two months ago? Yeah, two months ago. And yeah. it's and, not looking like we're any close to an end here. And that's what's got right. a lot of people worried. Right. And let me just say, though, you know, and I, I, I don't mean to joke about something that is as serious as this. People losing their jobs, their housing become becoming insecure. I'm very well aware of all the ancillary businesses. I've actually been involved in working with the entertainment industry for years, even before I was ever elected to office. So this is our foundational industry in this city. And so the seriousness of it and people getting back to discussion, in a way, I guess I would describe it as one step forward, two step backwards, because remember, there was no conversation Mm -hmm. at all. And I'm referring to the WGA. No conversation at all. They did go into uh, discussions, negotiations a week ago. Now there's been a step back. So I guess if I had to put it in its broader context, the fact that this is well over 100 days, I would describe this as a step back. But there had been a step forward. So I am hoping that they will get back to the table soon. But right now, a step back. Right now, it's a step back. That's mm. right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we have another question from a listener. Uh, Julio wants to ask about uh, Metro problems. Let's take a listen. Mayor Karen Bass, I am a Metro customer. Alvarado Metro Station is invaded by hundreds of drug addicts, homeless, and fentanyl sellers. I demand you, Mayor Bass, to enforce the law. Now, no more cultural excuses. All right. There was one of our... Uh, well, right to the point, wasn't yeah. it? Right to the point, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, and no problem. You know, uh, I did take over as chair of Metro um, a few weeks ago, and I will tell you, and this was a surprise to me, okay? Um, obviously, I knew Metro was one of my responsibilities, but what I didn't realize was that 80 to 90% of every Metro meeting is about homelessness, And it's about everything that that gentleman just said. And I agree with you. The law absolutely needs to be enforced. But you know what happened with Metro is during the pandemic, when all of us were sequestered at home, uh, the unhoused essentially took over the stations as well as the trains. And so we have and then, by the way, this didn't just happen in Los Angeles. This happened around the country. And so we're looking at how we resolve that. Absolutely. There needs to be law enforcement that's there. But we also started a program of ambassadors, which are a lot of people that are hired to just kind of move things along a variety of different tactics in the station that he's referring to. And I think he's talking about the um, MacArthur Park station. Mm. Uh, I was there just a week or so ago, and it is much better than it was before, doing things like playing music so that people uh, cannot, you know, view that as a place to sleep. But what we're talking about long term at Metro is that we're going to have to actually build housing on Metro and provide services. And as a matter of fact, um, the me- a couple of members of the board went to Philadelphia a few weeks ago to look at how they're dealing with it there. Uh, Mayor, I want to ask you about uh, another issue that a lot of people are talking about, and it's happening in schools, uh, not specifically LAUSD, but around uh, the, the communities. Uh, LGBTQ students uh, are being, you know, uh, required, teachers are required to report on them if they identify as something other than what they are in their birth certificate. And then, of course, uh, add to that, You've got demonstrations and then you've got threats against LGBTQ community members and other vulnerable communities, not just those, but a lot of threats and threats of violence uh, all around. What are you doing to assure the vulnerable uh, communities in in Los Angeles that uh, the city is going to be watching out? Well, you know, uh, to me, uh, this whole development is so sad. And um, 
It's not something that I, this is something that happens in other states, <laughs> not California, but obviously it is happening in California. I don't think that this is a significant problem within LA Unified. However, a week ago, there was a protest in downtown LA. I mean, we are a city that is welcoming to everyone that supports and embraces diversity. And I don't think we would ever have a debate on the LA Unified School District about whether or not kids should be reported. If they are going through a transition or thinking about it or inquiring. Uh, Let me ask you about someone that, you know, uh, for many years, uh, because he's been uh, was uh, very active in L.A. civic life, uh, city and the the county. Mark Ridley Thomas uh, just sentenced Uh, your thoughts on that since it just happened. And do you know whether or not there is any ongoing investigation? Uh, no, I'm not aware of any ongoing investigation. And I, you are correct. I have known and worked with uh, Mark Ridley Thomas for years, and I have known him to be one of the most effective, effective elected officials that we have had. And I think what has happened is is very sad. It's going through the process. I know there's going to be an appeal, and we'll see what the ultimate outcome is. A lot of people are concerned that there does seem to be an awful lot of corruption happening in L.A. city government long before you arrived on right. the scene. That's uh, right. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, what can you tell the residents of L.A. about their concerns they have about corruption just seems to be everywhere. What can we do to root it out? Well, I think, you know, uh, absolutely transparency, holding elected officials accountable. One of the commitments that I made during my campaign is that uh, if I was elected, I would bring in an ethics czar. As a matter of fact, it was President Obama's ethics czar, Norm Eisen, and he did come in and he did an ethics review. As a matter of fact, one of his recommendations was for us to hire a full-time ethics person, which we did. So we have a lawyer on staff who basically scrutinizes everything that we do and makes sure that we adhere to high ethical standards. But I do think when you look at corruption in L.A., almost all of it is tied to development. And so we really need to look at that whole process. But you know what? I am hoping that dealing with some of the red tape and bureaucracy might also address the corruption in the sense that some of that is to fast track, is to bypass the bureaucracy. Well, maybe if we clean up the bureaucracy, we could get rid of the uh, corruption that is connected to development. Let me ask you about uh, climate change, because the climate of Los Angeles, the one that you grew up with, is really no more. It, it, it is just a demonstrable fact that it has changed. It is changing hotter, uh, wetter, stronger storms witness what a we... Potential we hurricane. A potential hurricane. Rain in the summer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Rain in the, in, in the summer. And many cities are just not prepared right. for what is coming. How prepared do you think the city of Los Angeles is for what is, without any doubt, a very changing and very challenging environment. You know what? It's it's incredible that you asked me that question today because my answer is completely different than it would have been two weeks ago. Really? Because two weeks ago, I would have said, I feel that we are prepared because the last two mayors started addressing climate change and put in a lot of programs and procedures for us to adjust. And then we got hit with a potential hurricane. None of us, I mean, what would we do with that? That's a weather event that has never happened in my lifetime, Mm -hmm. and I've been around for a while. So I do feel that that is a wake-up call to tell us now we can't just look at other states and say, well, that could never happen here. 
So it made me feel like we better think of all weather events and not say just because it's never happened here. So maybe it'll snow this winter. Maybe it'll be. Okay, well, <laughs> so, so, but, sir, so do you have an idea about what we want to do? Is there, I, I'm going to hate commissions, but sometimes they serve well, a purpose. Do we need a, a special L.A. environmental commission? Well, I, I do think that we have enough commissions, but now I want to go back and look and say, did we think of weather events that have never happened here? Now, we were so lucky a couple of weeks ago. One, because we have an outstanding fire chief. I hope you have her on sometime. Kristen Crowley really stepped up. And she she warned us. And she made sure that we were 100% ready. And And I feel really good about how we responded. But now I think we need to look at everything. All right. Let's get a question uh, from a resident, uh, Owen Harris, who wants to ask about, he's a property owner, and wants to ask about relief after eviction moratoriums. Let's take a listen. Why isn't she addressing payment for the small rental property owners that lost money during the moratorium? We are human beings, and we were affected by COVID also. But yet the city of Los Angeles decided to let the tenants ride on our backs when we have mortgages to pay, we have uh, taxes to pay, insurance, maintenance, and upkeep. And I want to know why it's not a priority that the small rental property owners be reimbursed and made whole. Well, let me just tell you, it is absolutely a priority because one of the things I worry about with homelessness is that we might experience a big increase because there are thousands of people facing eviction. But the worst thing in the world is for evictions to take place and small property owners to default on their mortgages. So what you should know is that when I was in Congress and COVID happened, we passed resources for both the landowners as well as the tenants. And you also should know that um, the city council passed the ULA proposition that gave money for one rental assistance. So if you give us a couple of weeks, because it literally just passed yesterday. And so there is relief for, I don't know about you specifically, but there is relief for landlords. We don't want to see you default. We don't want to see you lose your mortgage. Then we have two people on the street. Do you like being mayor? I do. Why? Why? Well, for me, it's like my life has come full circle. And I feel like I'm back working in my city where I was born and raised and loved, but I actually am in a position where I can affect change, where when you're in Sacramento and Washington, D.C., you're affecting change, too, but it's so abstract. You, you know, Charles and I have talked about this off the air many times in, in regards to you, because being a legislator is different than from being an executive. Right. Uh, what are the pluses and minuses of being a, an executive versus a lawmaker? Well, the pluses is I can make a decision and affect change on the spot. The minus is the buck stops with you. But, you know, I certainly knew that. Uh, I loved being a legislator, too, because I love policy. I love digging deep in an issue. And I love long-term thinking and long-term planning. And I was able to do that in Congress. But the other benefit that I've really felt a lot are all those relationships. So I complained about the federal bureaucracy, and I got HUD to give us relief. I complained to the president. He said he wanted to reduce homelessness by 25 percent. I said, come here. And they did. And then working with the governor. So I like the fact that I have been able to bring together the resources and relationships to help our city. Can I, I'm going to ask you the question that I've asked uh, lots of people on this show. Um, if, if you were to walk in to a public school classroom 
to, you know, kids that are old enough to kind of get it. They understand. They're not like little kids. And your task was to tell them what you think the state of this country is right now. And you know what I mean by I do. that. Yeah. I do. What would you tell them? Okay, so let me just tell you something. Because if I'm talking to a group of young people, I need to inspire them. Okay. And, and so I'm going to tell them one thing. But if I'm talking to you, I might say something different. I think the state of our country is we're in trouble. I think our democracy is in trouble. I think our democracy is seriously at risk. I would not say that to a group of high school students. I need them to be involved and excited, and I would tell them how they can graduate and change the world. I try to recruit them to come be a, um, you know, a volunteer uh, or do an internship in my office today. So I, it's very important, though. I cannot go in and tell them the real state. It's not that I'm being dishonest. No, I, I get what you're saying. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. What, what, uh, what can we do? Well, we have to not take our eye off the prize. We absolutely can. I, if I learned anything from being in Washington, we, they call us the left coast and la-la land for a reason. Because a lot of what happens in the country, we're not faced with. We don't have, I mean, we were talking about the school district, but I don't think people are trying to um, eliminate history in California. So a lot of, and, and we do know that, cli- you said the word climate change. Yeah. I mean, in some states, that's a bad word. So I think we are very enlightened. And even the conservative part of our city doesn't even register as conservative in Washington, D.C. Will you be taking part in the uh, presidential election and campaigning? I will. I will. But I'm not going to be flying all over the state. My job is here. Right. (laughs) Uh, But yes, I am actually on the advisory team uh, for President Obama and Vice President Harris. I'm curious to go back to what you were saying before about your concern for the the state of democracy. Yes. Is that concern because of Donald Trump or because of Trump supporters or or is it broader than Uh, that? No, absolutely both. And so let me just be specific about it. Because what has happened over the years is that in a lot of these conservative states, they've moved to change our election process. And I'm not just talking about gerrymandering. Take the state of Alabama, for example. The courts, the Supreme Court ruled against their lines. They basically are saying they don't care. And they're going to go ahead and carry out their election the way they want to. So I'm worried that President Biden could win the popular election and they change the electoral vote. I think that we need to take it very serious because we take so many things for granted here in Los Angeles and California. Thank you very much. Uh, the mayor of Los Angeles, Kara Mass, we really enjoyed having you in the studio today. We want to thank you for taking the time out. I know you've got an awfully busy schedule, but we do hope you make more time to come visit us again in the future. I will. I will. Invite me back. I'll be back. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. You're invited back. You're invited back anytime. <laughs> Consider the invite is there. Okay. We, we'd like to have you, and, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Right. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you so much. That's uh, Los Los Angeles Mayor uh, Kira Mass with the special edition of KNX In-Depth today. I'm Rob Archer along with Charles Feldman. We do have more KNX In-Depth on the way. You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Hurricane Idalia has slammed Florida as a uh, big Category 3 storm is now making its way across southern Georgia as a Category 1. Now, Idalia brought with it fierce winds, heavy rain, and a strong storm surge that's led to 
Lots of flooding in Florida. With us now is Candace Rojas Colucci. She's a property damage and loss attorney who's helping with rescue and relief efforts along Florida's Big Bend, which was hit hard this morning. Candace, thanks for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, you sound cheerful. Yeah, but, very <laughs> chipper. But, but, but tell us what, what went down there. Yeah, so we actually rode the storm out a little bit south of we're in Hatchie right now. So it definitely was a hurricane category three. So we've got bursts of wind. We saw a couple little mini tornadoes. So the winds are probably at 130 miles per hour. A lot of the areas here are rural. So it's actually been nice. I think a lot of people have actually uh, evacuated, but we see massive amounts of, of roofs that are ripped off. Um, we've got so many trees down. This area has a beautiful forest and tree life. And so there are massive amounts of trees down that have blocked both sides of the highway. So we were working with with our team and we were actually with, with chainsaws and really trying to make their a way so there's people that are not blocked. And we saw we thought we found a couple of elderly people that there that a tree had fallen and blocked their car and they couldn't get out. Um, and so right now we are making our way into Steenhatchee. We've heard that there are people on, inside that area. So there's only, I think, two accesses, and they are both flooded right now. So there's about 25 emergency vehicles, probably 15 police officers. None of them have trucks that are tall enough to go through the flood. So we're actually about to, about to take our, our truck as far as it can, and then we'll start walking. Mm. And that way it's just to see what's going on over there. <clears throat> who's really in need of help, which there are a lot of people, you know, 911 and all that stuff, those services usually cut off. So, and they're kind of bound for what they can do, but we kind of are the ones that will go and walk on foot and take those risks. So just to make sure that there's no one in need of like dire help, but we have a lot of emergency resources and, and just trying to do our part to to get back to the community. Is the uh, damage you're seeing, is it worse than expected or better than expected? So since we specialize in hurricanes, we just we were just doing Hurricane Ian down south, and that was a you know category five. So so that is a it's it's there's there's definitely a difference in the the three to five, but it's really about twenty miles per hour. So it's not so so intense. But I think what makes this this damage um, a little probably less than anticipated is how how rural the area is. If it had been more compacted, we would see a lot more damage. So. I think that I think it was well predicted, very well predicted. You know, Hurricane Ian really kind of took a chain and turn a, a turn, and so did Hurricane Michael not too long ago. So I think it was well predicted of where it was at, where it was going to hit. It stayed right there in that middle, and then it really slowed down. Um, um, pretty pretty fast, it slowed down. I would say it moved very quickly. It was we couldn't really even. It's hard for us to kind of outrun it. So when Hurricane Ian that hit, you know, last year down south that stayed in one area for 11 hours and so this was moving very quickly so that's nice i think a lot of we were the best part about it is that i think that it was quick burst and i think Mm -hmm. we've got you know a lot of people that are really safe right now um Mm -hmm. and so the worst part's definitely done do you think you have to rethink now in that area uh the future because obviously this was something you missed what was supposed to be the real heart of it, I guess, uh, and and came through relatively unscathed, but the next time may not be that way. So I think what, so what people kind of don't realize is that when you have, have massive amounts of damage done to your home and you're near the water in the state of Florida, if your home is more than 50% damage of the, of the actual value of your home, 
you have to come to current code, which current code in Florida with things that are close to the water now is that you have to raise those houses sometimes eight, 10 feet. So the, the, the one great thing that happens afterwards, you know, it's so much devastation and loss, especially for the, for people who don't have insurance or they're underinsured, or they're just going to fight with the insurance company. But the one silver lining is that a lot of them are required to rebuild the houses much more sturdy and high up where we see a lot of the damage because coming from the flood and the storm surges. So that is, you know, that's, that's kind of what, the, what happens afterwards. That's the betterment of it is that a lot of these houses will come into current code and be safer for it. Uh, let me ask you about storm surge. That was the big concern as it was going to move through the Big Bend area there in uh, Florida. How much damage did you get from storm surge that you know, that you know about? Absolutely, a lot. So that's so a lot of this. A lot of the flooding will come from the storm surges, and we don't have you know the best reports yet because that area really is kind of it really is just alone, kind of on its own little 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 area there by the water, but. Definitely, you can tell that there was a good amount of storm surge. You can see some of it from a distance, but, you know, the wind bringing in that water, um, that's going to cause a, a lot of that uh, that flooding that we're seeing. So what do you think? Time to move away from Florida? I I always say, I'm, I, with the hurricanes that have happened in the last seven years, you would think, I, I can tell you a lot of people who are in that southern area, Naples, Fort Myers, that were hit from Hurricane Ian, they had been through Hurricane Hurricane Irma um, in 2017. And so it was the first time I was really hearing from places like we were in community centers in, um, in, in beautiful mobile home communities that are like people's second homes. And they were, the entire community was gone. I'm talking hundreds of, of mobile homes were literally no longer even there. And the, the community was really upset and devastated because I, you don't realize they create this family. And so now they knew most of the people were saying, we are not coming back here. Like we're gonna, mm. we're just going to sell the property. Of the, you know, they own the land or whatever the rights are they have to it, and and go somewhere else. So I think I think definitely after this one, we'll see a shift potentially in the market of people just really being scared because even Floridians like myself, who we who who obviously I have no fear and I go into a storm, it's still shocking to me that we've had this many storms in just small time, and now within the last. You know, since 2018, we've had a storm that has covered the entire state. I, almost the entire state has felt some type of hurricane. Damage. Yeah, and, and you know, the climate change uh, enters into the conversation at some point with the uh, Gulf there. And yeah. certainly the waters off the east coast of Florida being uh, much mm-hmm. warmer than usual. And many scientists attributing at least part of that to uh, climate change. Does that become a discussion uh, for people there of thinking, you know, with climate change, we are seeing more storms hit us? You know what? I'll, I'll tell you to be frank about it. I don't know much about climate change because I fight so much the legislation on the laws in order to protect the insured. There was a recent change in the laws that made it easier for the insurance companies to underpay claims. And so I spend so much time trying to help people after the hurricane, help them with their insurance claim and fight legislation that and I think in our industry, we don't even think about that. We don't think about the climate change part of it because Really, our industry is all fighting the insurance companies and fighting legislation that we think is is actually backing them, and um, and they're not getting the attention it deserves. We have people who are living in tents outside of their house, who are living in mold-infested homes, and the insurance companies, um, unfortunately, could care less. So, no, they don't talk about it enough in our industry about climate change, and and I'm not very versed on it because I've 
too busy putting up the good fight against the insurance companies. All right. Candace Rojas Colucci, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. A property damage loss attorney helping with rescue and relief efforts in Florida, talking about the damage as uh, Hurricane Idalia moved through. Interesting show today. It was very interesting and and uh, enjoyed having the mayor here in the studio with us. Yes, and, and I think we covered a lot of... A lot of ground uh, with her, and and she graciously accepted an invite to return. So we'll do that, I hope, hope not too far into the uh, future. And you know what? If you missed part of the conversations that Mm -hmm. we had today, uh, you can listen to the replay tonight at 8 o'clock and also listen to the podcast. And if all that fails, Rob will come to your home and give you a personal transcript. A a line-by-line reading of what happened during the show right there at your front door. Except, no, he won't. (laughs) (laughs) won't. Unless you pay me. Yeah. That's it for KNX and Def. We'll be back tomorrow at 1.